Amen. Would you grab a Bible? Hopefully you brought one and you have one there with you. And if you do, make your way to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Again, inviting if you have a Bible to make your way there. If you didn't bring one, there are ones right in front of you and the chairs in front of you. You can grab one of those, page number on the screen. If you want to use your electronic device and follow along in an app, that works as well. One way or another, our real invitation is to be in the Word of God with us. We are longing that today you would hear it, you would see it, and that God himself would take his word and speak it into your life and heart, longing for that connection, longing for that space, that in this time, God would work in that. That's our invitation here. That's our invitation if you're in the overflow or online, that you would have a Bible, that you would be opening it up and follow along with us, that God would take his word and speak it into your life this morning in a real and connecting way that makes that known into our lives. This morning, we continue just our verse-by-verse study of this book, and so we're picking up right where we left off and longing that God would just meet us in that. So let's take a moment and pray. I'm going to lead, but I'm hoping you would be asking, that you would be asking for God to speak to you through his word and what he has for you this morning. Father, we think about this moment, and right now, right here, we just want to come and ask that you would grant favor that you would give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, that you would yourself speak to us. Lord, it's Father's Day, and, and I think about what that is, where we as your children get to come and know you and, and ask that in that, that you would meet us. I think about what you tell us in Hebrews, that you as a heavenly father work in the midst of all of your children. You discipline, you correct, you grow us. It's one of the marks that we're yours. Lord, I want to step towards that and ask that you would speak to me and you would speak to each of us this morning in your ways, in your word, making it alive, just connecting it right where we are in a way that just helps us to see what we're needing to hear from you. You're the only one that can do that. And the only one that can do that, I pray for that. Pray in that that those who are outside of a relationship would be drawn to it by you opening up your word to them. God, you're the one that does. You're the one that works. We look to no other source than that and yet admit right now just need that you would give us just help opening our hearts and minds to hear you. Lord, looking to you and only to you right now, would you make that work just present and alive here? We ask for it together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Authentic Christianity. That's what we've titled this morning's message, Authentic Christianity. And even using that word probably all by itself communicates something. Authenticity, I love that. I love what it is. We understand when we think about something that's authentic, it is opposite something that is phony. To say something's authentic, it's the idea of saying, hey, that's genuine. That's something that's real. That's something that's true and honest. You would look and say, that's the real deal. That's a real thing. At the same moment, to notice that something is authentic is also to admit there are things that are phony, things that are counterfeit, shams, false, hypocritical. That reality is present across us this morning where God's going to highlight for us that which is genuine, but at the same moment, helping us to see that which is not, that which is not and is not the way that God works and wanting us to step into that. Now, that's exactly where we're going to be this morning. That's what he's going to describe. But before we do that, I need to back up, or I would like to back up, and just help set it in its context. 
So I just want to be honest with you. Just really, really honest, as I thought about this message, was preparing it this week, I really struggled in a couple of spaces. And one of those spaces was this, that there's such an incredible flow that has brought us to this moment. There's such a, a level of truth that flows into and out of this moment. And sometimes it's just downright dangerous to do what we're doing, just to cover a verse and a couple of verses in there, because, boy, if you can't feel it in its entirety, you might very well miss it. You know, kind of that age-old adage, you know, you miss the forest for looking at the trees. And I recognize that's possible right now and just admit that. So I want to try to frame this for a quick moment. It's not going to be a, a great way if you've been with us in 2 Corinthians. Hopefully it's going to remind you of things we've seen. If you haven't, it'll hopefully highlight it. And maybe you'll go back and say, I need to go back and hear some of those previous messages that would help kind of lead into this moment so that this doesn't stand alone because it doesn't. It's a truth that's just in this incredible package. So what has led up to this moment where we are in this verse? Well, let's go all the way back to chapter 2 for a moment. There in, in chapter 2, in verse 14, uh, Paul had given it to us this way. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. Hey, quick pause there. Always leads us in triumph in Christ. We talked about then the idea is that Jesus has won. He has been the one that has triumphed, that he died on the cross, he rose from the grave, and we are in this place where he is being celebrated, where he is being acknowledged. Add to that this, he says, Jesus is the one that's moving in triumph, but then through us, in verse 14, diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who who are perishing. To the one, we are the aroma of death leading to death, and to the other, the aroma of life leading to life. Who is sufficient for such things? He just looks on this whole reality and says, here's where we are. I mean, we get this place of, of being this aroma, almost as if you would smell our lives and you would smell Christ. For those that know Christ, it's a, it's a life-giving aroma. For those that don't, it is only a highlight to what you do not have. And as he looks on this, he just asks the question, like, who's sufficient for that? How could we ever think about being that in this broken world? Well, fast forward to chapter 3, where he begins to answer that for us. Verse 4, he says, and we have such trust through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Yeah, we're brought into this relationship where in Christ we are brought to an emptiness of ourself, where he invites us to, find, to discover our utter brokenness, that in ourselves there's no good thing, no ability, and there's nothing there. We recognize our brokenness that, that leads us both to salvation, but almost continues that in life. So that the real Christian life being rightly lived is this place of saying, boy, there's not, it, it's not you know, partly God and partly me. No, it's all God. So that when Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing, he actually, you know, like, we can't do it without him. Like, we so desperately need him. But what he does in us is, is, is magnify this incredible relationship that's titled here that new covenant relationship that's brand new and glorious in him. In fact, as he pictures how that works in our life, we see how that just begins to lead us into a place of transformation, 
verse 18 of chapter 3, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. That is such a powerful verse. Every Christian, every Christian, every real, genuine Christian, we all, we are in this place where we are beholding as in a mirror the glory of God, and He is changing us. He is transforming our lives one moment of glory to another. That's a beautiful part of how the real Christian life is rightly being lived, that He is in this process of genuine and real transformation from the inside out. Now, as he processes that through, he says it this way in chapter 4, where we were last week. Therefore, because that's true, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. This place where we get to be the aroma of Christ, where we get to shine Christ everywhere, we get to live for him and be his, that's ours, not because we've earned it, we didn't. In fact, we just admitted We're insufficient of ourselves to think that anything could be of ourselves. It's all Him. We get to do this because the same way we get mercy, which is undeserved, we get to be those who live for Jesus. Now, if you could feel that, if you could feel that, it would be this place where you would begin to understand why He steps into this next moment where He's going to say that that real thing is genuine. It's this authentic Christianity that is working everything that's there, but it has to be that genuine deal to work in that. In fact, he'll go on where we pick it up next week and say, it's because of this we get to be that those who represent the gospel light into our world, that the light of the gospel of Christ is being poured into and on and through us in a way that is meant to be seen, but all of that flows together. Now, I recognize that's a lot. I recognize that a lot, but I just want to tell you it's really, really good news. And again, if that isn't framed in this, if we just move to this next moment and didn't try to even see a little bit that's there, we might miss the beauty of the whole deal. So I hope it's seen. And if any of that, again, has left you in a place of unknowing, hey, go back and catch it. It's online. You can catch the messages there. Catch up to this moment where now we want to get into this place where we want to just dial down and focus on that place of authenticity that because of all that we've said, all that is this real work of Christ, this authentic work that God wants to do in our lives. So notice how uh, it begins to unpack for us there in verse 2. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Tells us again, we have this ministry as we've received mercy, but we do this, we have renounced this. That's really where it needs to begin, that he's going to invite us into a place that we do and that we are renouncing that, which I'm going to just call fakery. That was absolutely phony and false, that we would renounce that, that we would say no to that. To renounce has the idea of refusing, like, no, I don't want any. Like not interested, almost as if someone were kind of standing up to you, at, you know, or sitting at a plate and offering you something across the table and saying, "How would you like this?" Like, nope, I don't want. I don't want that. Like, no, thank you. I refuse. I, I don't want anything that's there. In fact, I'm going to use kind of some little uh, icons in the midst of this this morning that is probably only going to work for like two people, 
Uh, but if you're one of those two people, it's for you. And so when you think about renouncing, I just want you to think about an open hand that you're just, no, <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> no, I don't, I, don't, I don't want that. Not interested in that. That's something that I want to be in a space that is there. Now, he puts it in a, in a verbal way that tells us, hey, this is something that's decided. This is something that you renounce. But then it's connected into a place where it's, that, that we continue to walk in this. That we're walking in a way where we're saying, hey, this is what I have, and I, and I say no to that. And I'm continuing to live a life that would say, I don't want to go down that way. So with that, he gives us three things. Three things that would mark phoniness. Three things that would mark this opposite of authenticity that he's telling us we should look at and say, I don't want that. No, I, I don't want what that is. What three things? Well, notice what they are. It begins there in verse 2. It says, but we have renounced the things. I'm sorry, we have renounced the hidden things of shame. We refuse that which is hidden, shameful. This is a pretty powerful phrase, but I don't think it's that hard for us to get across. It would speak of something that is just blatantly ugly, lying, dishonest, the kind of thing that you would, you know, say something even though you absolutely know it's not true. It's not true. It could be that horrible sense where you would intentionally seek to deceive somebody, where you would, you know, look at somebody and you would, and you know, again, you get this idea of, of secret shame, of almost this place where someone would say, hey, this is our secret. We're not going to tell anybody. And that's a really dark hole you can go down. Don't go far down it right now. But I hope you could almost feel it. It's this place where you know it's not true and you're doing everything you can to lie. That's an ugly space. That's an ugly space in life, but it's part of what would often be there that would fuel this fakery where it's secretive shame, where you're deceiving that you are intentionally and clearly lying. Add to that, not only is it sometimes this place of hidden things of shame, but it's also, as he says there in verse 2, we've renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness. Craftiness. It's an interesting word. It has the idea of just really being about image. In fact, I'm going to use the word politicking. It's probably not the best term, but I think it kind of works. I think it kind of works, and maybe you would already understand. Politics is in a weird space in our world today. Politics in our day is as much, if not more, about image than it is reality. It's more about what it looks like than it actually is. So that it's more about how you're perceived than anything you actually do. And it's a terrible reality that those who can have a good image, regardless of what they do, uh, will often succeed in politics. That's how it works. And so again, for good politicians, if that's the right way to say it, uh, people who are really in politics, they have whole PR campaigns. That's all that they worry about. What does it look like? What does it look like? What's the image? doesn't really matter what we're doing. Nobody really cares about that. What it matters is what it looks like. So that everything is about image. Everything is about perception. And here's the scary thing. There's a version of Christianity that looks just like that. It has nothing to do with, hey, it's real. It's entirely about, I want to look like it. I, I just want, I, I, want to, I want to come and be perceived as that, you know, in a way that it's all about perception, not about reality. It's all about what does it look like and what people would think I look like than I actually am. 
Well, then he adds one other piece to it. So it's sometimes just blatant dishonesty. Sometimes it's all about image. It's all about externals. But then he adds to it this, when we think about that which is phony. He says, we've renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. So deceitfully is a pretty interesting word. Some of your translations will say it differently. It has the idea of adulterating, sometimes it will be translated, or even better, mixture. So it's the idea of taking something and adding it to the Word of God. Taking something and, you know, you take, hey, here's God's truth, and then you're going to add something to it so that you can be found comfortable. That you add something in it so that it would define who you are, even though it's not what the Bible itself is actually saying, which is the Word of God, which would define the life that He has for us, which would define the things that He is working for us. So let's think about these for a second. So we're thinking about that which is fake, that which we are to distance ourselves from, and it's secretive, it's all about image, and it would deny the Word of God. There's a few ways that this can be understood and applied. We would be amiss if we didn't say that part of what Paul is doing at this moment is contrasting the truth from some of the counterfeits that were being there, what we would say is false teaching, false religions, other things that would be manufacturing themselves as ways to God that don't work that way. And he's kind of calling us to say, hey, we want to look on that and say, we reject that. We reject that as a right way. Think about how it would say in uh, Ephesians 4, when it says that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Hey, I wish it wasn't so. I wish it wasn't something that you have to deal with, but we do. That we live in a world where there are things that are deceitful, plotting, that would mislead people uh, religiously. There are false religions, there are cults out there that would be in the space where people have taken the, the Bible and have taken the things of God and repackaged it into their own ways. And he says, hey, we want to grow up so that we don't, we don't get carried away by the trickery of men and that cunning craftiness, that deceitful plotting. Hey, we should be rescued from that. As I was reading this and thinking about this, came across a quote from Spurgeon that he was talking about in the midst of this passage, and he was talking about this idea specifically uh, of where the Word of God is adulterated, where people would bring in cultural truths and try to redefine the Bible uh, through those. And he says it really well. I just thought it would be worth sharing. Uh, he says, certain divines tell us that they must adapt the truth to the advance of the age, which means that they must murder it and fling its dead body to the dogs, which simply means that a popular lie shall take the place of an offensive truth. I just like the way it's said. I mean, this is a really, really powerful saying, and I just want to tell you the sad reality is it is true. See, so here's when you take somebody says, here's the Bible, but I'm going to try to mix it. I'm going to try to mix it with something that's culturally advancing. He says, you can't mix them. The only thing you can do is kill the truth, fling it like a, a dead body, because then you're going to enact tr this lie in the place of what truth is. How real that is. I mean, you guys know that. I mean, I think about the world you live in right now, uh, where in the gender confusions, uh, in, in some of the, the deceptions that happen within uh, you know, homosexuality and everything, this is exactly what's happening. Where people are saying, well, we need to marry it. We need to marry the Bible to this. We need to somehow, you know, create something that will make me feel comfortable living in the rebellious lifestyle I am and try to say it's biblical. But the moment you do that, you destroy truth. 
And the moment you try to marry it, you can't actually do that. That's how truth is, is destroyed. And so he's telling us, hey, we're not that. We are not those who would step towards that. We are not those who should look at any of that as okay. And I just want to say that clearly. And if that lands for you this morning in a corrective way, may it land correctively. That said, we need just to go a little bit further. And I wanted to say that as we think about what this looks like and we think about how this is speaking to us today, there's a sense that this passage is meant to rescue, not bring in confusion or condemnation. And this is the second place that I have really, really struggled this week. I told you there's two places. One was just trying to frame this within its whole context, but the second one is here because I'm very aware that this can be misunderstood. What I'm about to say could so easily be misunderstood. In fact, it's said it this way, that sometimes it's been said that, you know, the goal of a pastor is to afflict the comfortable and to comfort the afflicted. So it's like you got to do it at the same time. That, you know, those who are comfortable in their sin, you're supposed to afflict them, and those who are afflicted, you know, because they're recognizing that you got to comfort them, and you got to do them both at the same time. It's a huge task, but here's my problem. I'm really aware that if this doesn't go well, I'm going to afflict the afflicted and comfort the comfortable. Like, it's just, you're, you're totally going to hear this wrong, and it's not going to do what it's supposed to do. So let me do my best to try. Let me just speak to those right now that need to be afflicted, that need to hear this in a way that would wake you up, because it might be that you're here and this is you. I think about how he give it to us in 1 John, where John would look on it and say, hey, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. Like the word manifest, you might catch that. It'll be later in our text. But I want you just to hear the reality of what John is telling us. He says, here's what happened. There were people. There were people that were among us. They, they came to church. They, they looked like a Christian. They acted like a Christian. I thought they were a Christian. And now they've left. Now they've left. Now they're no longer in the church, in any church. In fact, they've left and they've thrown it off. And they've said, hey, you know what? I don't believe that any longer. I don't, I don't believe those things. I, I, don't, I don't see those things. And the question is, what happened? Like, what happened at that moment that they're in that space? John says, they were faking it. They were never really a real believer because if they had been a real believer, they would have stayed. Uh, but they were, they, there was this moment where they were pretending to be a believer, where they were going through the motions, and, and now they've you know, departed from it, and that only proves the lack of the reality that they were really ever there. That's true. That's powerful. And yet it's needing to be understood because here's the deal. I know them. Do you? I mean, if we sat down and I asked you for a list, I have a feeling that some of you would have a list with me. And we'd be able to say, hey, I know people. I thought they were. We sat in church together. Um, we went to Sunday school together for some of you. We, we, you know, we did Bible drills together. We, and we did things. And, and you know, I thought, and then now they, now they totally reject Jesus. Now they live a life that says, hey, it's not real. And you find yourself thinking, wow. I mean, what an incredibly troubling thing. But what happened? Well, the deal was they didn't have the real thing. And I want to try to say that as clearly as I can, because here's the deal. I don't get to speak to those this morning. Those are not the ones that are here. But I might be speaking to somebody that that's the road you're on, that you're here this morning, and yet you have yet to really enter into a relationship with Jesus. And you're here this morning, and honestly, you're faking it. 
you're faking it. I mean, it's all about externals. It's all, I mean, you're late light lying. You're, you're, you're denying it. And here's the scary thing. If Jesus doesn't come back soon, you might end up being one of those casualties. And one of the weird things that will happen, like those people that I know who have left, they will say something like this. Hey, I tried Christianity. It didn't work. I tried Christianity. It didn't work. And I want to say simply, no, you didn't. You faked Christianity and it didn't work. You, you, you played a game but you never had the real thing or you would have found life. Now, again, I get to speak to you this morning in a way that I just want to tell you. Hey, if you're here this morning and your Christianity is a sham, if it's nothing more than a presentation, some would say, you know, it's like wearing a hat. You know, that when, you, when it's just a fake thing, it's like you can wear a hat and, and when you wear that hat, you know, that's the hat you wear in that space. You can come to church here and you put on that hat and you know the terminology you know what people expect you to say and what people expect you not to say, and you do that. But you leave here, and you could go uh, into a sports bar or something else, and you could put that hat on. And it would be as real and genuine as this, because it's only how you're perceived. It's not really who you are. It's not really the person that's happening underneath. It's not really that reality of who you are. And if that's you, I, I'm not speaking it to be unkind to you. I'm doing everything I can to wake you up and say, that's not Christianity. Faking it, acting like it, just wearing a mask, pretending to be something, and yet not really coming face-to-face with the Word of God, not really coming face-to-face with Christ, that's not the real deal. And, and, And I do everything I can to wake you up from that and invite you into a genuine and real relationship with Jesus this morning. I mean, I'm just pleading with you, if that's you, that this would be a part of that, because that's exactly what's needed, is that he's saying, hey, we need to say, hey, that's not what we want. That's not what we want. So if that's you, boy, I want you to hear that. But now let me do my best to kind of flip to the other side, because at the same moment as I need to afflict the comfortable, I would like to comfort the afflicted. See, here's what I know. You're not a perfect person. There's not anybody in this room that has it all going for you. That's, in fact, that's everything we just came to. We just came to a place that we admitted that all of our good works, I mean, even the things that we used to think had going for us, we've discovered, hey, those are all marked with filthy rags. There's not anything so that we find ourselves insufficient. We don't have anything except Jesus. They were coming to an end of ourselves so that the only approach that we have even to, to getting to serve Jesus is because he's merciful. You know, that's a good space for us to come. And here's what I know. If that's really where you are, this is your struggle, and I love you, and I know that there's a few of you right now, you're going to hear me this morning, and you're going to leave going, that's me. That's me. I know it. I'm the fake. I'm the phony. I know it. You know, and I just want to say, no, but wait, just hear me clearly. We're talking about that, which is all external. If there's a real space underneath, that you're really trying to know Jesus, you're really in his word, and he's in that process of changing you, and you're trying. I mean, you come to things, so even in living this life that we live in Christ, it's certainly true that we have a battle with our flesh, and our flesh doesn't want to do righteousness, so sometimes we do the right thing because it's the right thing, but if you're in Christ, you really want to do the right thing. I mean, you want to want to do the right thing. You're just, you're pursuing that. And there's a beautiful life of Christ that God would meet you in this morning, that he would just be saying, hey, this is not altogether kind of, you know, condemning you. I don't want you to leave here condemned. Nevertheless, 
I do want to leave you encouraged. I, I want it to be a space that if you could look on, there's, there's freedom in recognizing that we get to look at it and say, I don't want anything to do with that, which is phony. Like, that's not what I want. Like, I don't want to fake it. I, I, I don't want to go down that road. That is not the road that I want. That's not the space that I want to live. In fact, I think about it. I shared a quote, oh, a, a few Sundays, a few Wednesdays ago uh, from George McDonald that I really, really liked. In fact, it has been one that has stayed with me uh, since that time that I first came across it and shared it. So I just quickly share it with you guys here this morning where George McDonald simply said, half the misery in the world comes from trying to look instead of trying to be what one is not. Wow. I just want that to land for a moment. Trying to look instead of trying to be, that's miserable. That is miserable. It is, and if you're faking it all the way, then I would invite you away from that. But for you who are in Christ, I still want to tell you, hey, sometimes it can go that direction, where sometimes you begin to kind of aim at this the wrong way, and I want to do everything I can to invite you into a space that you would say, that's not the game I want to play. That you would come before God and you would be with Paul and you would be with the, the scripture here saying, I want to say no. I, I don't want to fake it. I don't want to bold-faced lie and say, you know, that I'm doing something I'm not doing. I don't want to just be worried about my image and I don't want to mess up the word of God. I mean, the word of God is the word of God. I'm not going to change the word of God to match my lifestyle. I want to change my lifestyle to match the word. I want to say, God, because that's how I'm being changed. God's word would change me, and I, I, I want to refuse anything that would say, hey, I don't want to go down that road, that I want to be one that would do that. That's a really good space, and if you would do that, you then would be stepping into this place that instead of that kind of pretending and faking, we would be to this place where he says we get to manifest the truth. Go back and notice it. Verse 2, but we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. But by the manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Hey, Paul is telling us, hey, this is how he's seeking to live his life, do his ministry. But again, in context, it's how we're being invited to do it. That we're being invited into this place that we would manifest the truth. Manifest has the idea of making visible. Taking something that maybe you couldn't have seen it and, and to make it seen, to make it clear. Now, I have a phrase that really works well for me, uh, and it's probably not going to work for everybody. It's WYSIWYG. Uh, it's an old terminology that is, uh, you know, kind of an anagr uh, just an acronym that is, you know, what you see is what you get. And it actually is an old computing term. Does anybody remember it from the old computing days? There's a few of us. Hey, there's it's going to date me right now. And some of you are going to be like, no, that didn't actually happen. Hey, can I tell you back in the days when personal computing was just starting and computing was just a part of it, um, you would you didn't get to see what you were writing. I mean, you would pull up a, an editor, a text editor, and so if you were writing something in there and you wanted to bold it or you wanted to color it or you wanted to make it bigger, you kind of put these, you know, coatings around it in the midst of it, and that's what you saw when you typed. And the only way that you could ever see what you did is once you sent it to the printer, it kind of printed out that way. And you're like, well, I hope it comes out. You know, he's like, you don't actually know till you do it. And as computing continued to morph, they discovered this thing that they called WYSIWYG, which is, hey, we're going to create a text editor. So what you see is what you get. Now, here's the thing. 
For most of you, that's what you know. Maybe what you've, all you've known. And you're like, Jim, is that actually true? The people are like, no, that's actually how we did it. Like, we really did. And, and you're like, no, no. See, if, you're, if you get to use a, a text editor or a word processor today, you put it in there, and if you type in a bold font, you see a bold font. You know, you type in blue, it's actually blue. You put a 21-point font, it's actually a 21-point font. Crazy. But that's what you see is what you get. I want to tell you, if that makes any sense, hey, that's how he says, here's where we want to be. We want to be that, hey, there's a, that our lives are visible. That, that there's a sense that because the, the phony is only about that, we're longing for this, that we would now be in a place where that manifestation of truth, so I'm going to use these little hand things, so we're resisting the, the things that are uh, faking. Instead, we want to say, here's who we are. We want to manifest the truth. We want our lives to be displaying it. What truth? Well, everything that we just talked about in context. Christ died. He's the one who's triumphed. We're the aroma of Christ. We're insufficient of ourselves to think that anything can be of ourselves. He's the one that's sufficient. But now in Christ, we get to just gaze on him and be transformed. And now because of him and his mercy, we get to represent him in this world. We just want that to be seen. And we want it to be seen in such a way that it's the exact opposite of, of this, the, those who would be faking it. Like, we just want to tell the truth. And we want, you know, to be in a place that's not just about image. It's, I want, to, I want it to be real. I want it to be in me. And I want my life to be affected by the word of God. I don't want to change the word to meet my lifestyle. I want, I want the word to change me. And he says that we do that in a way that is meant to be clear. In fact, he says a couple other phrases that are helpful in the midst of it. He says, we've renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience. What you see is what you get. I just want, I mean, we're going to live in such a way that we hope you're able to look and see who we are so that we're going to live such a clear life that this is who we are. He says, but we do that in God's sight. I mean, ultimately, it really is this space that we live it that way. Hey, that's the real deal. This is the beautiful thing of Christianity that he is inviting us to live, that he's inviting us to be a people that says, here's who we are. Like, we're not pretending to be what we're not. We're not, we're not here, you know, pretending to be all that, you know, pretending to be perfect people who got everything down, we're going to come in here and say, we're not. We're a bunch of, of people that are here because, because of Christ, because of his glory, and we want that to be known. We want that to be clearly seen. You know, I find myself thinking about this, and I like when Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. I mean, like right now, like right here, what I am right now, what I am in, in, in my life in Christ it is God's grace, but that, there's a reality to that. In fact, I like that, that whole phrase, and as I think about that, one of my favorite quotes that kind of talks about this being what we are, living in it, was given by uh, John Newton. Some of you would know him. Uh, he's the author of the most popular hymn ever known, Amazing Grace. His story is an incredible story, one that was rescued out of brokenness. He was actually a slave trader. God saves him, radically gets a hold of him. He eventually becomes a pastor, uh, you know, preaching and, and living his life for Jesus. And he writes many incredible things. And one of his quotes that just speaks to this is, again, one of my favorites, where he simply said it this way. He says, I am not. I am not what I ought to be. Like right now, I'm just going to own that. I am not what I ought to be. I am not, he goes on to say, what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be, he says. But still, 
I am not what I used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. Uh, it's really, really powerful. And maybe I should just stop there. But he unpacks it a little bit more. So he takes each of these phrases and ha- makes sure that we understand what he's saying as he's saying this. He simply says it this way. He says, I am not what I ought to be. I'm just going to admit that, how imperfect and deficient I am. I need to own that right now. I'm not what I ought to be. I am not what I wish to be. I'm not okay with that. Not okay that I'm not the person I want to be right now. I would abhor what is evil. I would cleave to what is good. I am longing for more of that life. It's a good honesty. He goes on to say, I am not what I hope to be. Soon, soon shall I put off mortality, and with mortality all sin and perfection. There's a glorious day coming for us in Christ when it will be right, and I long for that. That said, yet though, he says, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I wish to be. I am not what I hope to be. I can truly say, he says, I am not what I once was. A slave to sin and Satan. I can heartily join with the the apostle and acknowledge by the grace of God, I am what I am. Kind of a little Popeye little saying, right? You know, I am what I am. But hey, you know, in the midst of this whole place, I don't know why I did that whole like random, sorry. Um, hey, just drawing us back into this space where we say, okay, I am. Like, this is, but I'm going to come right into this moment and say, today, right here, I am a testimony of God's grace. I'm a testimony. I'm not what I was. I'm not what I hope to be. But today, God's grace is at work in my life. And he goes on to say, by his grace yet more, I am not what I will be. I believe that he's in this work of changing and transforming and doing good in my life, and I long for that. Hey, that's a good space. It's a good space, and I want you just to see this so that in one sense you would be invited to it. I long that it would make sense that you would see this this morning and understand, hey, this is what it really looks like. This is what it really looks like. You know, that I instead of this plastic pretending you know, trying to look good, it is a space that we're longing for God to change us and, and make us. That that space that he ended in chapter 13, where he, I'm sorry, chapter 18, verse 18 of chapter, chapter 3, where he says, we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. That space of longing for that is a beautiful space. In fact, there's a couple verses that just are some of my favorite in that regard. In Philippians 2, it says it this way, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Wow. Hey, there's no sense that he's calling us to laziness in this. There's no way that you could hear what we're about to say and think, oh, cool. You know, let go and let God. That's not this. It's like, hey, take it seriously. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Four. Here's the beautiful part. God works this work in us. He's working a transformative work in us to give us the will, to give us the desire to change us on the inside, and the ability to do it. He's giving us the will and the do, the will and the power to do that. And there's this beautiful space that you should be able to see that and and desire that. In fact, I like it. He says it again in Romans 12. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We talked about that more in detail a couple weeks ago when we did verse 18 of chapter 3. And we talked about how there's this really, to be conformed is this external pressing. It's everything that we just talked about in phoniness. It's all about image. It's all about externals. He says, I want you to be changed. 
I want you to be transformed by being changed on the inside out so that Christ will begin forming you and transforming you and changing you. He says, if you'll do that, you'll be able to prove that which is good and, and perfect and, and just that which is pleasing, that the will of God in our lives. But it invites us into that space. So again, I can't guarantee that I'm making this as clear as I ought, but if it comes across wrongly, it's going to leave you condemned. If it comes across rightly, it should be the space that I'm telling you where it is for me. I look upon this and think, oh, I want that. <laughs> like, like, that sounds good. I mean, when I think about phoniness and hypocrisy, I don't like it. Do you? I mean, I think we, I mean, people always say that, you know, what are the things they struggle with Christians the most? Their hypocritical nature. That's probably true. But I think for many of us, we would struggle with it more on our own selves. That place of where it's all that, it's so empty. It's, it's so not life-giving. And if that's what Christianity is, boy, it's a bummer. But if it is this place where you could say, hey, God, I want that. I want this place where you would be changing me from the inside out, where you would be giving me a desire that your word working in me to to, to, to work good in me would be changing me to be more like Jesus. I'm just, again, speaking it from my life to yours. I look on that and think, count me in. Like, count me down that number. Like, I want that in my life. That's exactly the road that I want to be down. And he's simply inviting us to it. He's inviting us to that space where that genuine work would be there so that it would invite you this morning to say, hey, that's the road that I'm longing for. Boy, that's the space that I want to go down. Hey, quick little FYI, tying it in. Hey, today's Father's Day, and it would be just kind of helpful for me even to speak to the fathers, and I love it when he gives it to us in Proverbs. And he simply says, the righteous man walks in his integrity, and his children are blessed after him. Integrity is a good word. Integrity has the idea of genuineness, has that idea of authenticity, has the idea of the opposite of hypocrisy, and I can just look to you as fathers and say, you want to be a blessing? You want to be a blessing to your kids? Then do it God's way. Say, God, make me, change me. Don't be the kind of dad that your Christianity is just a hat that you wear, that you do that at church, and then at home, you're a whole different person. Be the kind of person that's being changed so that no matter what you're doing, it's that same person that's trying to want to love and live for Christ everywhere you are. He says, if you'll do that, that'll be a blessing to your family, and it certainly will. So we're processing these things, and once more, we're, we're kind of seeing it. We're seeing he's telling us, hey, we're going to renounce that which is phony. We want to manifest that which is right. We want to show that which is good. And there is this sense of just saying, hey, we want this to be rightly seen in us. And if we stopped right there, well, we'd probably mess it up. I mean, maybe I've already said it well enough as I've been trying to say it because I have included it that way, but I want to make sure I say one more thing. Uh, that we'll, we'll come back and pick up more next week, but the next couple of verses are going to begin to answer some questions because he says, okay, here's the thing. We're just trying to manifest Jesus. We're just trying to clearly live lives where Jesus is known, but not everybody sees it. Not everybody understands it, and we'll talk a little bit about why, and yet still what we're trying to do in the midst of that. But then he just kind of lands it and just says it so clearly. Jump down to verse 5 with me for a moment, and we will let that be our, our final verse for this morning. He says it this way, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. If you misunderstand what I'm saying, it would sound like we're actually talking about us the whole morning, but we're actually not. 
I mean, the very point of it is we are not preaching ourselves. Real Christianity, it's not us on display. It's not a place that we come in here to talk about what a great, perfect people we are doing everything well. No, it's a people that we're coming in and saying, hey, it's about Christ. It's about Jesus. It's pointing to Him. It's recognizing Him. Yes, we are seeking to live that before people. Yes, we're saying, hey, we're servants that help other people see Jesus, but it is for Christ. So again, I'm using my little icons there of hand gestures, and so again, for the one or two people it's really going to work with, I just think you could just feel it in three, three movements. We're saying, no, I don't want anything to do with that which is fake. I want to live the real deal. I want to live the real deal, and if I live the real deal, I'm going to point to him because it really is about him. I'm not here to tell you about us. I'm not here to preach Christ. I'm not to preach Calvary Chapel. I'm not here to preach the church. I'm not here to preach us. It is preaching Jesus. We're here to say, hey, it is all about him. It is about what he is and what he's doing. And what an incredible space that is, that we get to be those who do that, that we get to say, hey, this is what the authentic, real, genuine thing looks like. So to begin to wind this up this morning, let me just kind of ask once more. Boy, I'm wondering where this lands for you. I'm wondering where this lands for you. I will come back and say it is entirely possible that if you're all together honest, uh, the, the, the mask is being pulled away and we're just telling you, hey, you're not really a follower of Jesus. If it's all externals, if it's all a hat you're wearing, if you're all just going through the motions, if you're not being changed from the inside out, then we are pleading with you to come to a relationship with Jesus and, and saying, hey, you need him. You, we're preaching Jesus. We're telling you that God sent his son to bring us into a real relationship with him, and we long for that. But I'm also speaking to, some of, to most of us who are his, and in some ways, we're just being invited again to the process, and, and it would be great if we were just doing it well, but the honest thing is that sometimes we begin taking wrong steps. We begin taking wrong steps that is all about image or all about the externals and, and isn't about just saying, hey, here's what I want, and the thing is we should be able to say, God, I want this. Like, I want to step towards this place that I, 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 don't, I don't want to be deceiving. I don't want it to be about image. And I'm not going to reject your word. If your word says something, your word is your word. And I want my life to change to it. And I want to live it in such a way that it's just, here am I. This is what I am. By the grace of God, this is where I am. Not perfect yet. <laughs> in motion, God's working. But I want that to be seen so it could be all about Christ. And if that's your life, I just invite you afresh to it invite you that you're not the only one on that journey, but how we long that that would be seen. How we long that the real thing that God is seeking to do would be known, would be seen. And, and we long for that to be there. So you can take your Bibles, notebooks, whatever it is you have open, and let's just take a moment to pray about that. And so I'm going to give you a space. You guys know how this works, but let me just echo it out. We're going to give you just a moment. And this moment is for you. But our hope is it's a conversation you'll have with God right now about whatever it is he has just talked to you about. It's a conversation we hope starts now. But if it starts now well, it will continue later. That you'll be able to say, God, I want to take this. I want to think about this. I want to chew on it. I want it to be that which would work good in me. And so quietly between us, I mean, just in this space, between you and God, we just want to give you that space to talk to him. So let's just do that. You take a moment, I'll take a moment, we'll come back and close and worship and prayer in just a moment.
Jesus, I think about your promise that you said you would build your church and that the gates of Hades would not withstand it. I thank you that you're doing that. I believe it. I know that you are. We take moments to glimpse of cost just the real thing. It's amazing. It's beautiful. You're beautiful. We look at your triumph, your victory, that has now just made us those that are the aroma of Christ. Not because of who we are. The reality is we are absolutely insufficient. We have nothing. All of our good works are filthy rags. We have nothing but what you have done and are doing. And I thank you for that rescue. But I thank you that's still the process. That now in Christ, we're brought to a place not of our own sufficiency, but yours. And we're asking, Lord, that you would continue that good work in us, changing us, transforming us. That you do so by your word. You do so through your glory, Jesus. And that would just be clear, that we'd be able to be those who make visible how amazing and good you are. God, I ask for that. I ask for that good work that you're doing, and I pray that in the lives of, of, of your children, that you would encourage them, you would rescue them from condemnation, you would rescue from confusion, you would encourage them in the battle that is the battle they're living, to keep stepping in, keep being changed, keep growing in your ways. But Lord, I do want to pray for those who are not in, those who aren't really followers of Jesus. Their Christianity is only a sham. They put it on, but they can just as easily take it off. It's not genuine. There's nothing under, underneath. They reject your word. They reject what you say believe it. God, I pray for those who are in that space that you'd wake them up and that you will have just kind of called them out from the darkness that they're living in toward light. God, would you save, draw to you and rescue into a genuine life in Christ, a beautiful life of your transformation. Thank you for it. Thank you for what you're doing. Lord, we just admit by the grace of God, we are what we are. We thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for your faithfulness in it. And we surrender it to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, if that's left you questions, if you don't know Jesus, you need someone to talk to, we're here. Make your way up. Talk to us afterwards. Anything that we can do in the midst of that, we'd love to do that. But right now, we want to invite you into a space. We just want to have you worship as we close. So why don't you stand? We're going to make God our focus. We're just going to worship him and long in the midst of that that he would just meet you. In fact, in that, I just want to bless you in his name. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his 